In episode 10 of Within Digital, I chat to Incubator's head of measurement consultancy, Kate Jervis, about the first-party data renaissance, why you should be focusing on your own first-party data in 2022, and where exactly to begin. Today, I'm joined by Kate Jervis, Head of Measurement Consultancy at Incubator. Hey, Kate, how are things? Good, thanks. Thank you for having me here. Absolute pleasure, as always. So why don't you start by telling me what on earth the Head of Measurement Consultancy is? Well, yes, I get asked that question many, many times. Ultimately, what I do is work with our clients in the digital space on their measurement strategy. Data we now know, as as we've known for the past kind of five or so years, is at the heart of everything that happens in digital. It's the place to start. It's the place to end. And so my role is really working through with clients how to measure effectively, how to make sure they have the processes and technology in place to do that. And then ultimately how to activate all that data they're collecting to actually do something with it. Sounds exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So you spoke at our recent Let's Go Summit alongside our own analytics and data experts, Ryan and Sean, about how advertisers can continue to reach their digital audiences in a privacy first world. And I thought I'd take my cheeky opportunity to steal you away for the podcast and chat a bit more really about first party data and and how best to prepare for the future. But before we get into that, just to sort of like introduce the topic a little bit, the, the catalyst for this topic for us as an agency, basically to produce all this content around data and privacy really has been the demise of the third party cookie, which sort of, I guess, I think we started talking about that last year, I think it was, that's going to happen by the end of 2023. So we won't go into great detail on that topic here. We've covered it a bit in the podcast before we've done a couple of webinars on it. So there's plenty of content out there about the third party cookie itself. But basically, what these industry developments have highlighted is the importance of first party data. So my first question for you, Kate, is why are we talking about first-party data like it's a new thing? Because it's always been incredibly valuable. What's led us to this point? Great question. To kind of go back to the beginning a little bit, digital has grown so fast in the past 20 years, and the law hasn't been able to keep up with that. The law has never really been about digital spaces. It's been about physical spaces. And throughout that time when digital was growing so quickly, third-party data was utilized so much, we probably went too far as an industry blatant disregard for consumers, I would argue, <laughs> in, in some areas, you know, less so in others. Yeah. But I think there has been a disregard for consumers and their privacy. And so there has been a law change. We all know about GDPR, the CCPA, mm-hmm. the e-privacy regulation, you know, all of the acronyms. But the thing that we forget to think about is the fact that it was actually determined by consumer desire. This is not law that is being mm-hmm. kind of shelled out just for the fun of it, it is because there is that consumer appetite there to have more control over their data. So part of that process, deprecation of third-party cookies happened already with Safari and Firefox, Mozilla, happening with Google. And what third-party cookies ultimately do is they facilitate a huge network for advertisers to be able to access user data. And so the fact that that's being deprecated, it means all of a sudden businesses are having to think about how do I get my hands on that data? How do I start to personalize my websites, my ads, my digital experience um, for the end user? How do I do that 
when I don't have access to this huge network of data. So it's really put the responsibility back into the hands of individual businesses to elicit the data they need to market and sell effectively without them being able to kind of go outside of that and plug these other other resources that used to be available. And obviously by that, you mean first party data. Absolutely. One of the channels for doing that is first party data, one of the easiest, maybe that's the wrong word, I'm not sure. Basically, in short, we're kind of past having to sell the benefits of first party data because it's one of the most readily available solutions to the gaps that are going to be caused by the deprecation of third party cookies. But where does does first party data win against third party data at all? Is it better targeting, measurement, customer experience? Are there any challenges I should be aware of? That's so many, so many things to say about that. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I definitely think it's more valuable than, than third-party data. I think there is a nervousness around it because there's been a long period of time when advertisers haven't had to ask the consumer for anything. So there's almost that fear of kind of saying, oh, actually, now we need to build a relationship with you or a different relationship than we've had with you previously. I think in terms of your the first point, I think you mentioned targeting. You know, there is a huge power to having targeting that is using signals that are explicit rather than inferred. So if you think about third-party data and perhaps Nielsen have a segment and that segment says this group of people are interested in gardening. Those people could be in that bucket because they've seen an advert for a garden tool and then Googled about it a couple of months later. They could have just read an article about, you know, how best, I know nothing about gardening, as you can see, how best (laughs) to, uh, you know, (laughs) <laughs> weed Will garden barrows. yeah i'm just gonna say words here about gardening so they might have ended up in that segment because of behaviors that are inferred someone's done yeah. something and there's been an assumption that that person's then interested in that association mm-hmm. whereas with first party data what you're the data you're getting is someone who's saying yes i'm explicitly interested in this so what yeah. it means from a targeting point of view is the effectiveness of your targeting and the accuracy of your targeting from an advertiser's point of view is going to increase drastically It also means that because you're having to generate first party data in order to benefit effective targeting, you're going to increase your relationship with the customer. We know, as we've seen in the past couple of years, not only are customers more conscious of their privacy, but generally we're seeing a more conscientious shopper. We're seeing people who are more interested in sustainability, who are climate conscious, who are willing to pay more money to get access to quality rather than quantity. And we're definitely seeing that grow. And what that means with customer loyalty is that if you're showing that you are giving them personalized and targeted experiences that are beneficial for them, they're Mm -hmm. also more likely to give you more data. It benefits targeting in terms of it's going to be more explicit, it's going to be more accurate. And also the better you're targeting, the more you're going to increase your customer loyalty and the more you're going to increase your first party data. So it's almost like this positive vicious cycle where you're actually going to generate more of your own valuable data, the better a job you do at using it. So it's, it's got quite a nice motivation behind it, I think, as an advertiser. And that's why obviously it's so beneficial for the consumer because they're going to really yeah. be the people who do well from this, basically. And is it in terms of measurement, is it easier to understand? And I, I would say measurement's an interesting one. Because I think as well as the the changes that we're seeing to cookies, what we're also seeing is a movement in the measurement space from precision measurement to predictive Mm -hmm. measurement. So as we see more people block cookies, as we see more users want to protect their privacy and not give data away, we are being encouraged as an industry to think more about observed conversions with being encouraged to think more about trends. And for an industry that has, for the past 10 years, been very obsessed with 
precision data. You know, how do I get the most accurate data I can get? It sounds quite scary, but actually I think it's so freeing for a marketer to actually be able to work in a way that's data informed rather than data driven, because there is still room in marketing for intuition and what you should be using data for or what we encourage people to use data for is to kind of back up that intuition. And so I think from from a measurement point of view, rather than it being kind of, is it easier to measure third party data versus first party data? What we're actually looking at is a cultural shift in encouraging people to be more confident with trended data and observe data rather than kind of being so obsessed with having 100% of the picture all the time, which actually has created quite a risk averse advertising market really, because people are so worried about moving forward unless they have that 100% picture. I, I personally think that precision measurement is kind of more damaging than probably we've given it credit for. Yeah, it's interesting how the how the industry's moved so quickly, actually. I remember when I, f- I mean, I first started working for Adapt or whatever it was before, four years ago, data-driven attribution was the understanding everything from end to end and every single touch point was like this massive thing that everyone was really excited about. And now all of a sudden, it doesn't really exist anymore. You're talking about predictive modeling and that sort of thing. And, and that's quite exciting. It really encourages people to do, which is what I'm quite excited about, because I think it's part of the human condition, isn't it? If you can know all of the facts before you make any decision, everybody wants to do that. But that after a certain period of time just causes a lot of standing still. And that's why we mm-hmm. see a lot of businesses who've accumulated a lot of data, but actually haven't done anything with it because they're really focused on the fact I don't have that remaining five percent and it's like but what does that 95 percent give you so I'm I'm quite excited for the industry in terms of just seeing a lot more movement than we've we've perhaps seen well now's their time these changes really are driven in a way by customer experience or what the customer wants I mean what do you think all of this means for customer experience do you think our experiences customers are going to get better different I think definitely better, but there's always a fine line, I think, isn't there with personalization? Yeah, you want to do a good job at personalizing as an advertiser, but yeah. you don't want to be borderline annoying. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's always good to remember, you know, te- testing things out, trial and test, as we say, test and yeah. learn. You know, there's some businesses out there that are doing a great job, you know, ASOS, H&M, do have great functionality on their sites now where they can see what you've bought, what you've returned. And so when I go to ASOS and I want to look at a particular Christmas dresses, for instance, it's going to tell me this is your suggested size in this fit. And that's going to be different depending on the different product that I'm looking at. So mm-hmm. it might be a dress that's by warehouse or it might be from Topshop and it might say, well, you're a size eight usually in Topshop and you're a size 10 usually in warehouse. Now that's something that I might, I just would probably have to order lots and lots of sizes <laughs> and test that all, you know, do that all myself. Whereas ASOS mm-hmm. is doing a great job at saying, you've given us lots of data because we see your shopping experience and therefore we're going to help you make this process easier for you. Same with people like H&M. One of the businesses I find interesting who I would say have quite an annoying customer experience is booking.com. Anytime you look up I might be going on a business trip next year to South Africa, for instance. And if I just want to have a little peruse and say, okay, what's the average price at the minute? I'm then going to get emails for the next three weeks about, do I want to book that South Africa trip? (laughs) And so I think there's going to be a fine line here about using first party data, but using it in a way that benefits the customer, not something that's just ticking that box. You know, let's just send emails out every time someone abandons their basket and keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And I think it also raises 
an interesting point about data freshness. And I know in your original question, you asked about what are the challenges. I think data freshness and data decay is a fascinating subject because like I said earlier, had an industry for the past five years, has been very obsessed with collecting all this data. And before they're ready to activate it or move on it, as I said, they're, they're kind of obsessed with getting this perfect view. But in doing that, they forget that the data is aging as they're holding yeah. it. I think back to when I worked with a big supermarket and they might have loyalty card data that shows, you know, person A has bought size two nappies, right? Mm -hmm. Now, within a couple of weeks, that data is going to be irrelevant if they're just going to say, yeah. I'm just going to retarget that person to buy size two nappies again. Because I don't know what they were buying nappies for, but I would imagine if it's a child, the child grows, right? It's going to have mm -hmm. to be an aging of that data so that we understand that consumers change over time. Now, obviously that depends on what market you're in, what your customers are purchasing, mm -hmm. what the life cycle of your product is, but data does age and data does need to be enhanced as time goes on. So one of the things that I have been thinking a lot about is this idea of kind of progressive profiling. When you're using first party data, you're initially probably going to collect a name and an email. Now over time, rather than the first time you speak to that user, you get them to fill out a full page and you get them to talk about what all their hobbies are and what they like buying and what they like doing on the weekend. Now first you ask them for their email and you ask them for their name. And then over time, through website engagement, through social engagement, through purchases, you start to build up a progressive profile of that person. And that is how you keep aging your data. And I think when marketers are just thinking about, I have the data and now I can use it and they forget this piece, which is that data decays. I think that's something that needs more focus going forwards from an industry, how to be more data savvy, not just about collecting it, but actually starting yeah. to use it in a, in a smart way, right? You're gonna be more successful if you build a picture slowly versus asking somebody for everything all at once. If, if one of the places I shopped at came at me with a survey and said, can you fill out this 20 question survey? I'd probably go, no, I'm all right. If they build a picture from my actions or, you know, maybe ask me a few questions, then I'd be much more likely to comply. This is a bit of a side point, actually, just a point of interest that I just thought of. Does data have a half-life? Is it like a half, like a sort of general half-life of data? Mm. That is an interesting point. And I, I wish I had an official kind of like, yes, 3.75 years for you. <laughs> I think it really does depend on the product you're, think you're mm. selling. Because I had a friend who worked for Amazon way back when they had the first personalization engine. Mm -hmm. And it used to be really frustrating when you used to buy gifts for people. So I would buy like a book for my mum on baking and say, I hate baking. And then I would just keep seeing advertisements <laughs> for books about baking. And it used to be, it used to be like that for Amazon way back when, same as if I buy a stapler. And so I've been looking at staplers all day and mm. then Amazon will say, oh, you bought a stapler. Do you want to see three other staplers? It's like, <laughs> no, I've, I, I've bought a stapler now and that stapler is probably going to do me well for, I don't know, five years, right? Amazon over time, what they have done is done more analysis on actual orders and you will notice that recommendations now tend to be more personalized in if you've bought something more than a couple of times or a category of something more than a couple of times, mm -hmm. then they're going to go, okay, that person's interested in this. Or if they've bought something that has a, a five-year length of, of 
of life like a stapler they're not going to show you that again and I think therefore it does depend on what your product is and there probably needs to be some rules that you think of as a business in terms of kind of what makes sense you know this is not about just using data but it's like what makes sense there has to be a sense check so yeah I would say it probably doesn't have an official half-life but I think depending on kind of your product life cycle you know is it something that someone buys every three months and if so your data is going to expire a lot quicker than if you're selling a product which somebody buys every two years. There's probably some rules in there, but it, it, I think it would make a very interesting study. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking, like, can we do a study on the half-life of data and like segment it on in, based on industry and or product category or something like that? I don't know. Maybe we should. Uh, that's our next project. I guess moving on from the from the benefits of first-party data. Assume I've got zero pieces of first-party data. Okay, I'm totally new to this. I mean, that's pretty unlikely, I think, but. Assume that's the case. What are my sources of first-party data? Where, where do I start? I mean, it is luckily quite straightforward. I think the hardest bit is, as I said, testing it out. I think there's a lot of fear about asking customers for data these days. But, you know, you've got your, so first of all, website. You've got anything that comes off your website. So all that behavioral information might be engagements of a product page. It might just be visits, might be purchase history, might be time on site. You know, you want to understand Do they dedicate a lot of time to looking at your resources? Then you've got any demographic information you might get from that that can either be gleaned from the products they buy. So you can do a, a kind of assumed demographic or you might have some demographic information that is collected when they're going through the checkout process. You then have their email and you might have information that you can transfer from other platforms around social media you know there are a lot of wall gardens around social media and obviously that's all third-party data but if you're for instance running something some kind of lead gen campaign and you're running that on instagram ads and you're also running it on spotify ads you can then understand when somebody goes through that lead gen campaign, where do they come from? Okay, they came from Spotify. So they're a Spotify user. So we know that about them. They're interested in music, etc. I would say, you know, you can still use third party platforms to, to gain first party data. I think people always assume it has to be anything that comes off the website and nothing else. But it is, you know, a website's a powerful tool in terms of collecting that behavioral data and all of your purchase data. But there's obviously layers that you can pop over the top to build up, like I said, that progressive profile of somebody. Because on its own, the fact that somebody's a Spotify user probably sounds like an irrelevant data point, right? But if yeah. you've got it in conjunction with other aspects, how loyal they are, how often they buy this product, how engaged they are, it might show you that the best place to reach them is going to be on Spotify. Or you might see that Spotify users who are in that age range typically also are big on Snapchat. So you think, you know what, I'm going to go after some Snapchat targeting. So it's all about buildable data, basically. Yeah, I guess it's just about almost about thinking about your data in a different way as well. You know, like what can you, like your example with Spotify, maybe someone wouldn't necessarily even think of that as a data point, but it's actually potentially really useful. Okay, so that's first party data collection. How do I ensure that data conforms to the rules and regulations? What do I have to do? Should I be scared? Definitely not. And I think anytime, I think there's two, there's two main reactions, right? Is either scared or bored when you talk about data yeah. privacy. <laughs> anytime somebody mentions GDPR and you just see people's eyes glaze over, you know, it's not that complicated. Uh-huh. There are obviously checks that you need to have in place from a legal point of view, but I would say there's, t- there's two categories of it. So you have how you're collecting that data in terms of when you're actually making the request to the consumer. And that's pretty simple. You need to make sure you're following the conditions of consent. It's GDPR Article 7. And all that means is, is the user freely giving consent? Are they able to withdraw that consent slash data at any point? 
And is it explained to them in simple language? So basically, are you wrapping it up in complicated legalese or are you really straightforwardly telling them, we're going to use this data and we're going to send you an email every month? So conditions of consent, one category. And then the second category is around making sure that you have technical processes in place for date for storing that data. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we definitely recommend using a DMP or a buying a technology that has security and GDPR checks as part of it, but also just making sure that you have the processes in place for if you have a data breach, what's going to happen? What's your data processing agreement? So there are some clear things that you have to do when you're dealing with first party data, but they are so well trodden paths now, you know, everybody is having to do it. There is so much information out there and it's conditions of consent, making sure that the user is well informed. And then secondly, making sure that you have the technology and process to store that data in a legally safe way. And it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Yeah, definitely don't overcomplicate it. People listening, if you do have any questions, just get in touch with us at ADAPT and, and let us know and we can hopefully help you out or we can get in touch with Kate and she can give us an answer or two. Maybe. Before we wrap things up, because we don't want to fall into the pit that you mentioned earlier of it being too boring, us talking about privacy. (laughs) What should we be focused on beyond third party cookies and beyond best practice first party data collection and use? What's What's next on the data and privacy horizon? What's hot at the minute? Um, I think (laughs) probably the biggest change that's coming that we know about is the changes that are happening to Google Analytics, moving to GA4, moving to a new logic for data collection. That's a, a pretty significant shift. Uh, you know, it's probably the one of the biggest shifts I've seen in my time in 10 years oh, really? okay. in data. You know, GA is such a hugely used tool. So I think anybody on GA really should be focusing on getting to grips with the new logic, not being afraid of it. It's time to embrace that change. Yeah. You know, <laughs> d- don't get worried about your year on year data for your kind of board reports. Just embrace, <laughs> embrace what's coming. And there was lots of resources out there, you know, via Adapt or via kind of Adapt partners to be able to share information on how best to use that. So I think that's one big thing. And then I think the second thing is probably quite a boring thing to say, but my God, test and learn. If I could change anything in terms of the industry, it would be to shake the industry up a bit and just say, hey, now's time to just do things and see if they work. And I think we are seeing that more and more, but I think the, this move away from I must make sure I have all the data all the time and it's going to be 100% yeah. perfect. The fact that that's just not going to be possible anymore is the biggest favor that privacy has ever done for us because it just it just relinquishes those chains and we can just be free and we can go and test things and we're going to see if they work. And then, yeah. we, you know what, if they don't, we can come back to the drawing board and try again. But I think that's what I'm most excited for is things like GA4 happening, new logic, it's time to make a change in line with that just starting to to actually activate data rather than thinking about this kind of single customer view perfect world that we all Mm. used to kind of idolize sounds like things could get exciting in 2022 definitely (laughs) i mean of course i'm going to say that because i work with data and i'm a massive data geek but i promise even if you're not there is some exciting stuff coming i look forward to it (laughs) thanks for joining me kate it's been great like I said, if anybody's got any questions, just let us know by any of the available channels. Maybe we'll uh, get you on something else again soon, Kate. I, I just am going to talk about privacy till I'm blue in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks, Nick.